Hello, everyone. This is Scott Geider. My very special guest tonight is director Ryan Mallory and producer Stephen W. Eccles for that awesome comedy superhero movie, Defective Man. Guys, how you doing? Doing good, uh, Scott. Great. Thanks for having us. Hey, Scott. Thank you for, thank you for ha- having us. No problem. And uh, Ryan, you contacted me a little while ago. I don't remember how it came about to ask me to review your film. Defective Man, as I mentioned earlier. Now, as you know, there's um, there's ways of making a superhero movie, even if it's corny or serious, is you really have to have some humor, especially when it comes down to like a no budget or a low budget. So what you did and what Mr. Eccles did, I thought was brilliant because you have like uh, the four rejects that really... You know what I mean? I just love the yeah. idea of, like, Defective Man, Horn Dog, you know, um, Captain Orange Piss. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how you, I mean, the Horn Dog, I really had to get adjusted to first, I guess, because you see that schwanger hanging on his head. But, yeah. uh, you, now, yeah. I'll ask you guys, you guys can go about one at a time, but have has anybody seen this film, first of all? There's been a few people that have seen it. Um, we did have our premiere in Albuquerque where we had two nights of theatrical showing, so officially the movie has had a theatrical run. It was one city in two nights, but it has had a theatrical run officially. Okay. Um, yeah. So it has been seen by you know a few people in the theater there, and then since then, you know, we, we did an original run of 60 DVDs. All 60 DVDs are now gone. So, you know, there are at least 60 people out there that have this movie in their house. Um, well, I guess 58, because Steve and I have one as well. Um, well, yeah, actually I have three or four, so... Okay, so thanks for bursting my bubble there, Steve. So, we'll have this movie. And then I've sent a few a few DVD copies to other people that weren't the original, like, actual production run that we made. Um, so there are people that have seen it, um, not a whole lot. That's what we're trying to change. We're really searching for distribution at this point with the movie. Um, we really want it to. Uh, we're not looking to make money off it. I mean, it'd be nice if we made our money back. That would be awesome. But really, I think Steve would agree that what we really want is this movie to be seen. Right. We put. Yeah, that's, that's, all, that's, that's all I really care about. I mean, that's that was our goal from the beginning. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I think we knew going into it, it wasn't going to be a cash cow from the beginning. <laughs> Right, it's hard to sell a movie with a 10-inch cock on the main character, one of the main characters' foreheads. I mean, we knew that would be tough. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I wish you all the luck. I mean, I know it's not easy to make a film to begin with. I mean, when you do one and you complete it, that's that's an excitement and accomplishment itself. It's just getting some people, it's just getting a distributor for it. Now, I'm going to speak freely here for a minute, and I'm not going to offend anybody, but one thing that I do not understand, there is the most worst trash movies that get distributor deals, and I don't know if it's a favoritism thing or what, but then there's movies like yours. There's movie, other movies that are so damn good that never get a chance right away for a distributor deal. I don't know how that works. Blowjobs, Scott. That's how that works. That's well. about what I'm saying. I mean, I, that's yeah. that's my guess. You know, and well, go ahead. No, I'm saying from the nice of you to say that. I mean, appreciate that. It is. I mean, yeah, most definitely, we do appreciate that. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. 
Uh, as you are aware, Scott, I also write movie reviews. Um, I have a, a website called Ryan's Reviews. And, you know, I, I my whole focus is movies under a million dollars. So I don't do anything with a, a big budget, which, you know, to somebody like me, a million dollars is, you know, oh, we're rolling the money. But for a big budget film, a million dollars is like their soda pop, you know, budget. So, um, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. There's a bunch of movies that get sent to me, and I watch them, and I'm like, how the hell did this thing get national distribution, and I can't get anybody to watch Defective Man? It, you're right. So, and I don't want to, yeah. I'm not going to name names because I'm not going down that road, but, mm-hmm. you know, I've gotten films here that I have deserve everything they get, misery. For me, the more people that watch Defective Man, the more chance I have of somebody important watching Defective Man. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that yeah. is my thing. Anybody I can get that will take the time to write up a review, much, you know, awesome if it would be a great, you know, big review on a site that gets seen, but even if you take the time to write me a review on IMDb where some random schmo might look it up and go, oh, look, this random dude liked this movie, maybe I should check it out. Right. You know, the more exposure, the better. So, you're right. Good or bad. You know, I, most of the reviews we've gotten, luckily, have been very good for Defective Man. Um, I got one review that pretty much said that the dude hated Defective Man, the character, um, and, you know, all the things about the movie that I disliked were the things that he liked, and all the things about the movie that I really liked were the things that he disliked, and cool. Yeah. You know, that's right. a different opinion, oh, but at least he took the time to write it up where somebody's going to read it. Right. Man, you know? press is good yeah. press. You're right. Any press exactly is good right. press. You're exactly yeah. right. But I don't want to get off, off track there, but we're talking about the distributors and stuff like that there it's like i don't understand like i mentioned earlier is how yeah it's weird i mean i don't know you know it's yeah just, i don't know i've seen i know exactly what you're saying i've seen a ton of crap where i get done unlike you um when i watch a movie i will if someone sends me a movie to review i will review it i tell them in the in the beginning good or bad i'm going to review your movie i'm going to tell you honestly what i think and if i don't like it i don't like it but no matter what, I'm going to take the time to find at least something good about it. Because I know that any movie that's sent to me, no matter how much I think it sucks, that was somebody's baby. Somebody put a bunch of work into that movie. So I'm going to take the time because they sent me the movie. And, you know, most of the people I talk to, they're sending it to me from their house, you know, out of their pocket and their own stamps and everything. Right. I'm going to write the review. And I'm going to take the time to find something good about it. But... I know exactly what you're saying. I've seen so many movies where I get done watching it, especially the ones that actually have distribution. You know, the ones that don't have distribution, it's like, okay, I understand why you don't have distribution. You know, thanks for sending it to me. It was funny for two minutes out of the 90 minutes I watched it. Great. Right. Um, but the ones that have distribution that I get, because I'm on a couple of uh, low-budget, you know, uh, distribution lists, I watch some of these and I'm like, how does this movie have distribution and I can't get anybody to see Defective Man? I mean... I, I, don't get me wrong, I don't think Defective Man is like Citizen Kane Part 2 or anything, but I think we made a pretty funny movie. It is. You know, I think there's some parts about it that are pretty funny. Yes, some parts are dated, but, you know, if you look up any history on the movie, Steve and I started working on this movie in 2006, and we debuted it in 2010. So right. there was literally four years of collaboration between Steve and I before this movie went from an idea that Steve had and he had wrote an original script to the movie that you see on the DVD. So, yes, some of the ideas are dated. Right. I will give you that. But well, still, well, I think there's some, some funny shit in that purpose. movie. Some, some of that was deliberate, too. That's that true. Was, well, you know, there was sort of an homage to some of these other things. So, Right. Well, some people just don't get that, too. I mean, 
I'm yeah. going to back like, one of the reviews man. I read. It affected me. Talked about how uh, how dated and stupid it was that we had a Reservoir Dogs uh, reference in the movie. Really? I didn't put a Reservoir Dogs reference in the movie because I think it's a current hot topic. I put it in there because that's the movie that made me want to make movies. <laughs> you know, and if if you don't like my Reservoir Dogs reference, okay, that's fine, no yeah. big deal. Yeah. Like I said, your opinion's your opinion. My movie's my movie. But on the other hand, you know, I put that in there because I thought it was funny and because I love Reservoir Dogs. Right. You know, so sue me. Well, I will backpedal here for a second. When I said no. about every movie that I got sent to me, I reviewed. I mean, believe it or not, I don't. There's a lot of reviewers out there that will go to every freaking movie page and say, hey, I'm a well-respected reviewer, whatever, whatever. But I don't do that because there's some films that doesn't have my interest, and I don't want to put myself in a situation to where I have to review it. What I meant is I would go to Amazon, and it's I, I would buy movies on Amazon and not review them after I paid mm-hmm. for them. Okay. That's the ones I don't review. Everything that That's gets true. sent to me, I review. Believe it or not, I've never gotten anything that I, was sent to me that I did not like. There's something, I mean, like you. You know, 4.5 is my cutoff, and usually that's the lowest I've gotten. I never got anything that's... Now, you mentioned about a year on the list for... Uh, I was, too. Uh, I guess I still am, but uh, what's that What's that one called that has, like, these movies that are so bad? What's that one? It's probably the same one that I'm in. It's that big... Cheesy Flicks is one of them, but... That's oh god! They released a movie I think about three months ago. It's probably their best one, and I don't, I, I couldn't understand why that why this movie was being distributed by them. But I can't remember what the hell it's called. But I got hooked up with them, and they sent you like ten movies at one time. And oh god, I they're in my drawer. I can't watch them. <laughs> I can't. But uh, it's one thing to be low, no budget, but it's another when it's like a bunch of uh, friends and. Right. And, you know, it's that's another thing. I mean, There's a difference between no budget and no talent. Right. And that's something that some people don't realize. Some people will look at some of the no-budget movies that are out there. Like, for example, I think a great one, for example, is Chris Seaver. I'm, I'm sure you're aware with low-budget pictures and their movies. Mr. Marilyn, yes. Chris Seaver, you know, he makes movies for nothing. I mean, literally nothing. Yep. I did an interview with him years ago where he told me that... One of his movies he made for $35. Yep. I talked to him. But yet, Chris has a bunch of talent. Chris knows what's funny. Chris knows how to make people say shit that's funny. Right. And therefore, Chris will make a movie for absolutely no money. It'll be like a movie that he made for three pizzas and, a, and you know, a couple sodas. Yep. And yet, it's some of the funny shit you've seen all year. Yep. There's a big difference between no budget and no talent. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. And, and again, I don't want anyone to think that I'm this... You know, I've got this big giant head that I'm the best director there ever was because I don't think that at all. Right. You know, I think Defective Man it has its moments. It's not the best movie ever made, but for what we did, for what we did it with, I think it's something to be proud of. But there's a big difference, you know, between having no money and and making a movie where you feel it and you know that it's a movie you want to make compared to having no money and making a movie because we're going to be famous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this. This whole project came so close to to dying so many times over five oh years. Yeah. It's just a, it's a miracle it got done because there's so many. We had a lot of setbacks. Oh yeah. And, uh, just because there's no money and also locations and all kinds of other shit like that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm really we're, I'm really proud of it too. I'm, I mean I'm just amazed of all the help we got from everybody, right. and that includes other filmmakers and mm-hmm. actors. 
extras and everybody. It's just pretty amazing. So. Now go ahead, either whoever wants to talk, but go ahead and, and tell us how the characters came about with Defective Man, Horn Dog, etc. How who, who was that you, Stephen? That, that, that I think Steve it? needs to talk about this first because Steve wrote the original script right. for Defective Man, and he contacted me after one of the Troma Dance New Mexico film festivals and said, you know, hey, I've heard about your movies. I have this script I wrote, and I want you to look at it and maybe direct it. And then he sent it to me. So I want him to talk about this first, and then I'll add on to what I did to it. Well, yeah, yeah. I first saw Ryan in a, in a panel. It was a panel discussion. And uh, I'd never seen any of his movies before, but I thought, well, this guy sounds like a great shooter and sounds a good guy. And, you know, so I thought I had just finished my first, well, actually my second script, and I, I'd never even done anything in a movie before, so I figured, well, what the hell, I'll, I'll contact this guy. But uh, the original idea for Defective Man was, well, it, it was kind of came out of an office joke where I work. I mean, I kind of, uh, I guess I kind of came up with Defective Man as sort of a, of a, an imaginary friend to help me through my midlife crisis, which was not, not your normal midlife crisis, kind of a geek midlife cri- life crisis. So I kind of started... Uh, these little the, the things that work, like putting post-it notes around, and just you know, I just, so it's, it's, it's also kind of loosely based on some of my coworkers who always speak in these weird little non sequiturs, kind of like office space. But uh, then I kind of, as, as I started doing more, and I started writing things down. Then I, and the, the, some of the other characters, like Bill Gill, came from uh, eighth grade, a character that that I kind of thought up in eighth grade. <laughs> we draw cartoons of Bill Gill and his, and his friends all over the place. Uh, the original character, Captain Orange—I mean, uh, excuse me, Horn Dog—was a—I I called him Sexual Man, and he was a, a guy who had dildos, pretty much covered like a porcupine, cover himself with dildos, and that—that uh, that was not really doable. <laughs> right. We found out. I mean, well, it turns out when I went to go buy those dildos, those things are expensive. You know, expensive. <laughs> it's hard to we keep them. Pour our whole budget on dildos. I mean, we had people. some budget for dildos, but it couldn't be the whole thing. So. Yeah, and also there was other, you know, other reasons, but, so, uh, Captain Orange Piss was, I don't know, that was just something that came out of left field. I don't know, I don't know, it's just like, a from watching The Love Boat and watching Captain Steubing or something. And, uh, as far as the Orange Piss, well, I don't know, I, I, I'd heard somewhere there were some medications which turn your piss orange, so I don't know what, you know. So I figured that maybe he was, uh, just some has-been type pitch man or something. But, uh, so I had the original script I had was kind of verbose and kind of uh, rambling all over the place. And, and uh, Ryan, when I sent it to Ryan, Ryan totally uh, fixed it. He totally rewrote most of the dialogue, and he made the dialogue funny and, uh, well, interesting. You know, I had, Ryan was, my original one had a lot of, a lot of just, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe. But he uh, also added some, added, added some scenes and, uh, and added some characters and, yeah, and it was totally. We worked on it together for about two, one or two years. Uh, isn't that right, Ryan? We just back and forth working on it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, um, he sent it to me originally in April of '06. You know, and said, you know, hey, I I saw um, you at a film festival, and I I have this script I want to make into a movie, and would you be interested in in making it? And I read his script, and you know, it had all the the backbone of what the movie needed to be, but. Um, Steve, having never made any low-budget movies, didn't have an idea of really what kind of budget we could afford and what you could do in a low-budget movie. So the original script of Defective Man had scenes like, 
if I remember right, there was a scene where Defective Man saves a woman from a high-rise fire by her jumping out of a 60th floor of a, a skyscraper and bouncing off his belly and, and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, weird stuff like that, which, which at the time, I guess, if you're making an animated film, would be doable, but I, I had no, right. no clue as to how, how you'd actually do that. So you know. Right. And I actually have been working on low-budget movies since 1999. I made my first short on the streets of Germany, Gorilla style, like just standing out on the road making this short film. Um, when I moved to New Mexico in 2001, I, um, you know, I continued with short films there and I eventually got, um, hooked up with the Santa Fe Screenwriters Conference and worked there as a volunteer for a few years in a row. And in exchange for volunteering, I was able to take some of the classes that you would pay. Uh, I don't even know how much people pay to get those classes. They were extremely expensive. Not anything I could have ever afforded mm. by me going and handing out water to, you know, people that had golden spoons in their mouths. I was able to go sit in a class or two. And uh, one of the classes that really, really kind of got my interest was a movie called Make, or a class called Making Champagne Movies on a Beer Budget. And it was explaining how you can make movies for little to no money, but there's certain rules you have to follow if you're going to do that and be able to do it for that budget. And um, taking that class really kind of um, helped a lot with the original script that Steve said, because, you know, there were a lot of things in there. Like I said, the backbone was there. There was a lot of funny ideas. There was a lot of uh, funny characters, but there was a lot of stuff that really needed some tweaking to be able to be made at the type of budget that we were going to work at. Right. So I went through, and you know, he sent me the original script in April of '06. I completely rewrote it to the point of, um, you know, a lot of the the main plot was there, but I changed a lot of the characters. Um, sexual man became horn dog, and as soon as I saw thought of the name horn dog, immediately the idea of the lucha libra mask with the dildo popping through it came to my mind <laughs> and you know I, I made that decision that we were going to have Horn Dog like that um, a lot of the rest of Horn Dog was really very similar to the original Sexual Man I mean the orgasm donor t-shirt that was in Steve's original script the um, if I remember right the Batman like um, belt of sexual cool devices belt, yeah. was cool belt. that was in your well, original script wasn't and all that. Yeah. yeah that's what I thought um you know, so really what I made is I made Horndog a little bit different in his character, and I put that frickin' horn on him. And <laughs> and that's where, you know, I took that character. Um, Captain Orange Piss was Captain Orange Piss in the original script, but when I read Captain Orange Piss, for some reason in my head, I heard Beatnik. So I, when I rewrote him, I made him this Beatnik character that also happens to be like a reject from Captain and Tennille. Um, <laughs> You're right. And then yeah. Bill Gill, I mean, Bill Gill was Bill Gill, but I decided when I read it that we were going to do that old joke of, you know, he speaks a different language that everybody happens to speak, and some some things <laughs> language are two words, and that means a paragraph in English, and some things are a paragraph of his word, and that means two words in English. That's you know? funny. I know that's an old joke, and it's been done to death, but I think it's funny as shit. It so, is. Yeah, I figured, what, why not? I'm going to put it in there. Um but the biggest part, like like Steve said, was the dialogue. Um, Steve had the ideas of the story really well cemented. He had the the idea of the plot pretty good. Um, I have always felt like I've got a pretty good ear for dialogue. Um, ever since I first started making movies, Quentin Tarantino was my my influence that really made me want to make movies. The first time I saw Reservoir Dogs, 
when I got done watching it, I rewound it and watched it again and said to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to make things like this. Um, and filmmakers that have really that flair for dialogue have always been filmmakers that really spoke to me. Like um, Kevin Smith, for example, Jim Jarmusch, um, obviously, you know, Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, and, and it's those type of filmmakers that have always really kind of stuck out to me. So I, I think that I have a pretty good ear for dialogue. And that's one of the things I, I feel like I brought to the defective manuscript was, you know, oh, Steve definitely. had funny ideas, but he didn't necessarily have the characters saying them in really, you know, funny, witty ways. And by doing very minor tweaks to what Steve had to say, I made them say it in a much funnier way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I agree with that completely. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, but yeah, yes, I ended he up, had the uh, whole background. You know, he had the whole basis of the movie there. He just needed some tweaks to make it. First off, you know, like I said a little more presentable, a little more, you know, dialogue witty, um, and to make it on something that we could actually afford to make, because you know, and also make it, make it make it more interesting to a younger audience too. Because I'm I'm 53 years old, and you know. <laughs> When I, when I originally, I think my original script was probably geared more towards uh, middle-aged old farts like me. You know? That's true. You did and have Ryan that. made it a lot more interesting uh, to younger people than what he did. So, I yeah, you did have that whole scene in the original one that was a, a parody of Sideways, which, except yeah, instead of pretty much, yeah. So, um, I don't think that a lot of people um, would have gotten what you were going for there, but I think that. The story-wise, you had it when you sent it to me. You know, you had the story down. It was just the tweaks to make it presentable to, you know, um, like you said, a younger audience and an audience that's yeah. going to go pay for a movie they've never heard of before. And I think it worked for me. All the feedback I've gotten from everybody, I think, you know, I think they enjoyed it. So now, everybody uh, I've talked to you about it. So. How did you come across Paul Alzing for Defective Man? Well, that was um, Ryan. Paul he actually came out for a um, audition that we. He came out for the audition because of the Craigslist ad, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, he was uh, man, that guy's amazing. That guy. He was awesome. He was awesome. actually our second choice for Defective Man. Our first choice for Defective Man um, ended up going SAG before we started the movie. Oh. Yeah. So we could no longer have him as Defective Man because we had no idea how long it was going to take to make the movie. And there was no way he could get it done before he paid his SAG dues and became a SAG actor. Um, he yeah. is still in the movie. He's in the very beginning scene. He's the yeah. the older guy in the bathroom that has the yeah. kind of fight with the younger guy. Okay. Uh, Chris Rain is his name. If you watch um, In Plain Sight, or I think he's also been on Breaking Bad and a couple yeah, other... And a cop or an agent on Breaking Bad and a couple episodes. Yeah. yeah, so he's been in, a, in, in quite a few SAG things that shoot in Albuquerque, because I don't know if you're aware, Scott, but Albuquerque's like Hollywood number two, um, yeah. or at least was a few years ago. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of stuff there, both TV and movies. So Chris was our original Defective Man, and actually, when I rewrote Defective Man, I had a friend in mind that I wanted to play the character, but he never really made it to the you know, the idea, like he thought it was a funny idea but couldn't commit. And then we casted Chris in the auditions that we did through a Craigslist ad and we got local independent theater in Albuquerque to let us have their theater for a day to run auditions. And Chris was our first choice, Paul was our second choice, and then when Chris dropped out, Paul just jumped at the the opportunity and Paul was awesome. I I have no complaints whatsoever about Paul. He, uh, 
he took Defected Man, made him a character, made him an awesome character, and he has done some awesome things since then. Um, he's yeah, he has. He's done awesome, a lot of other movies. I don't know if you're familiar with Billy, but he's done yeah. quite a few good things with yeah. Billy since then too. Yeah. How about Arturo? And, and there's nothing defective about Paul either. That's, I think he's got a PhD, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, Paul was actually a chemistry professor at the University of New Mexico, or at least he was when he made our movie. Was, yeah. Um, uh, the book is photocopying. Now he, he lives in uh, Rochester, New York now. He does. Um, the book that he was photocopying in the beginning of Defective Man when he falls asleep on the photocopy machine right. was from one of his classes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Arturo, is, Arturo is actually... Um, he was not a cast member. He was a crew member, and Arturo was our fourth horn dog. Um, yes, the original guy we cast for horn dog was hilarious, and he gave a great performance. I loved him, and then I sent him the script after we casted him, and he read the script and he read the description of horn dog's uh, costume, and he sent me an email that says, "I can't do this. If I ever did this movie, I won't ever get a job again." I said, you've never had a job. So what do you mean? But just the idea of the costume of Horndog turned off a lot of people. Um, our first Horndog dropped out. Our second Horndog, I don't remember what happened to the second Horndog. But our third Horndog, uh, Day of Filming. Yeah, I, 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 you think, remember? Uh, I think he had a car wreck or something and couldn't make it. Oh, that was something, like that. something like that. That was Horn Dog number Horn Dog number two was, but Horn Dog number three. We were at the um, the first set that we shot at, other than my house, which was the office scenes in the very opening of the film. Right. We were waiting for Horn Dog to show up, and he didn't show up, and we're like, "What's going on?" So one of the girls who um, who was our script supervisor, Sarah, uh, it was her friend or her acquaintance. I don't know exactly what they're, you know, how close of friends they are. But she was like, okay, I'll call him and see what's going on. And she called, and she comes back, and she says, um, he had a car accident last night. He's not coming. Oh, wow. So Arturo... Yeah, we, were all, we were all set to film and everything. We were at a location, which was set we had for like set. one day or so. And we were all set to film, and we, there we were. But yeah. Arthur just, uh, Arturo just stepped up right then. Yeah, I pretty much think that um, if he doesn't step up and play Horndog, I quit, we're out, fuck this shit, I'm going home. But he did, and he did a great job, an amazing job. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And uh, I thought it, it just his, his whole voice and everything, delivery was great. I mean, just it couldn't have been better, I don't think, you know. Yeah, he, he did the deadpan thing pretty perfect for Horndog. He's not an actor. He's a guy who likes making movies and likes to be involved with making movies, but he's not really somebody that's um, very often in front of the camera. Uh, he was a short film that I made that never got finished. And other than that, I don't think he's actually been in front of the camera for anything other than Horndog. Um, but, you know, I, I told him, I'm like, dude, this is it. We just had our third Horndog quit. Either you step up and do this or I'm out. You know, I'm going home. And he said, fine, I'll do it. Let's let's shoot this. And he, he you know, stepped up to the plate. He put on the mask, which is uncomfortable as hell. I should remind. Oh yeah, that mask was horrible. I had chicken wire inside it, and it was, it was just horrible. I mean, just making that thing was, was unbelievable. Pretty much, wearing, wearing yeah. hot and everything. Yeah. 
basically what holds the, the dildo up is a wire hanger and then a halo that goes on top of the actor's head, which is then... Yeah, and it kept, it, kept, it kept falling apart on us. Kept having right. to go to the, the, the adult toy store and buy more of those dildos, you know, after a while. A frequent shopper discount. So, um, but yeah, so he stepped up when nobody else would and put on the mask. And his only um, his only caveat to playing the character was that he wasn't going to use his real name, which I completely understand. You know, he wants to be in movies and work in movies, and it's tough to say, "Oh yeah, my first big job was a guy with a ten inch cock coming out his forehead." Right. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, how about Bill Gill? That well, one's so. That was the guy I work with. That was Josh Saavedra. He's a, a computer guy I work with. I, I work kind of work in an IT group, sort of, and uh, he's one of my good friends and coworkers. And he just, uh, I just asked him. I said, "Well, you know, Josh, uh, got a part for you. Nobody's going to see your face, you know, because you're going to be wearing a mask." But he's just a fun-loving guy, and he came out and he did it. And uh, he put up with a lot of crap too. Just he was wearing that horrible coach. mask and the heat and everything. And we cast him. You know, Auditions too. Did he audition? I don't. No, no, no. I, I auditioned at all. I think he just showed up because uh, dropped out as well. We had somebody think, else audition for Bill Gill. Yeah, that's right. I, can't even, I can't even remember who it was at this point. It's been so I don't. Because that was like thirty-five years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who the original Bill Gill was. I think it was. Uh, uh, I think the guy went off to become a stuntman or something like that. I don't yeah, remember exactly what it know, was. Yeah, we had somebody cast as Bill Gill. They dropped out. Um, the yeah. only people, I'll tell you, the only people that we actually cast from the very first day who made it to the end of the movie were Ronnie Tobins and Heavy Flow. Um, Trent Haga and Haley Nelson were the only people we actually cast from the beginning who yeah. were actually in the movie when all was said and done. Yeah, Haley showed up and did an amazing audition. Oh, hey. Oh. I thought she was brilliant in that movie. She yeah. was awesome. Her audition was something else. I mean, just uh, yeah, she yeah, had yeah. down when she did her audition. Wow, and Trent, and, yeah, now, Trent did, and Trent was just um, Trent was a friend of mine from another film I had worked on, and on that film he had kind of complained to me about how he had no lines of dialogue and how he wanted to have something meatier. So I wrote him a meatier character who happened to have nine pages of monologue that he had to shoot in one day. So. And yeah. Lloyd Kaufman now has it as um, well, screen original script too, yeah. Oh. Yes, yeah. Ronnie Tobin was in the original script. Um, that was one of Steve's original characters. I rewrote him a little bit, um, made him, I don't know, cheesier. Uh, he was yeah. a lot like uh, uh, Toby yeah. very much similar to his his namesake that he's making fun of. And I made him a lot cheesier. And then when we were looking at casting, I knew Trent from another movie I'd worked on, and I thought, you know what, let's make this guy talk a lot more, and then let's see if Trent will want to do it. Because he complained to me about how this movie that he was working on, he didn't have enough dialogue, um, so I'm going to make him talk all the time. So <laughs> That was good. Now, how about Lloyd yeah. Kaufman, though? What does it mean when it says, uh, obviously it says scenes deleted, but does that mean that it was the movie is too long or, or what? Yes and no. Um, 
we loved Lloyd's stuff, and I'm I'm really still excited to this day that Lloyd, you know, read whatever part of our script he actually read. I don't know how much of it he read, but you know, he read enough of it to say that yes, he'll do this for us. Um, unfortunately, the original cut, Defective Man, if you include all the animation that was supposed to be in it, would have been over two hours and five minutes long. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah. Some stuff we didn't get to film too. On top of that. Right. Right. On top of that, there was actually some scenes that were never filmed that, you know, would have been really, really long. So we made the decision kind of early on after I did the first rough cut that was, I called it Defective Man, the longest cut that ever shall be cut. Um, yeah. Once I had done that cut, I mean, it just, it dragged. There was just parts that, like, it was just, oh my God, when are they going to get to something important? And, we, we really needed to cut it down, and unfortunately, one of the things that was really easy to take out was an entire subplot where Captain Orange Fist has to go to Columbia to prove that he is not the parent of a, a child that he's being sued over in a paternity suit. Okay. Defective yeah. yeah. man, I'm sorry, and Lloyd Kaufman, his character was the attorney for Captain Orange Fist. Okay. So. Yeah, we didn't, I, I was kind of... We really couldn't get a good location for a courtroom as well, either, so mm-hmm. it was kind of hampered by that, too. Right. One of the things that you'll find when it comes to making movies at this budget level is that shit never goes the way you plan it to, so you need to be ready to rewrite stuff on the fly. Right. So if you look at the original shooting script, quote-unquote, I'm doing hand quotes here, you can't see it, but if you look at the original shooting script for Defective Man, it is way different than the movie that you watch on the DVD. Um, there were a lot of things where, like, for example, the scene in the alleyway where the four guys beat up the hoodlum who is beating up the homeless man. Yeah. Well, there to be two hoodlums in that scene, but one didn't show up. So we had to rewrite it on the fly that day to make this scene all of a sudden be one hoodlum. Um, you know, stuff like that happened all the time. With Lloyd Kaufman's scene, our original plan was it was going to be in a courtroom and we were going to, you know, see all this stuff, so we were going to shoot it, and then that became very obvious that that wasn't going to happen, so we made the decision that, okay, the idea was going to be that the camera walks up going into the courtroom, and a security guard steps in the way and says, no cameras allowed, and then we cut to um, the animation, the courtroom sketches of this scene, and then it came to the point where it's like, okay, our movie is 30 minutes too long, what can we cut out of it, and there's 12 minutes of Columbia related subplot so it was like immediately that was very easily the thing that we could cut out that had nothing to do with a major plot of the movie it just kind of reinforced the fact that Captain Orange Piss is a player um, yeah. and <laughs> that was the first thing that came out so it never happened yeah, I it was funny stuff but it really didn't it wasn't as crucial as the other stuff that exactly happened. there was some really funny stuff there I don't know Scott if you watched the deleted scenes on the DVD but there was a whole scene where they're lost in the woods in the Andes and and Horn Dog eats some mushrooms that he finds, not knowing that they're magic mushrooms, and ends up running off head first into a tree. And Defective Man talks about how he was on Iron Chef and um, had a cheese whiz based dish that he almost beat uh, Masahiro Maramoto with. And you know, so it had some funny stuff, but plot wise, they had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It wasn't integral at all. So when it came time to cut stuff, unfortunately, there goes Lloyd. So uh, and then after yeah. we had our our, our first uh, screening of the movie, uh, we got some feedback back, and some people said it was just too long. Mm-hmm. You know, always said it really should begin. So 
you know, and if we in order to cut that, we had to cut out the whole subplot to make right. it realize it wouldn't not have made sense. So, and our first screening of the movie was the uh, the edit that I called the you can't you can't illegally download this on torrent sites yet cut, uh, <laughs> which was an hour and forty five minutes if I remember right. Um, so we had already cut some stuff, um, but we, we still had some other stuff in it. Um, we were still hoping to put the whole Columbia subplot in there. And then when we got the, the feedback from the audience that watched it, that that was too long. And we were like, okay, well, that whole Columbia thing has to go. And unfortunately, as much as I really wanted to be able to say that Lloyd Kaufman's in my movie, I have to say that Lloyd Kaufman's in my deleted scenes. Right. So. Yeah. Now, there's one more actor I want to talk about. <clears throat> He's a good friend of mine. I interviewed him as Billy Garbarina, oh, the president yeah. of New Mexico. Now, yeah. what's so funny about that, when I saw him in the movie, I didn't recognize him at first. <laughs> I said, well, it's the monocle. No, it I know who that is. Wearing that weird Monopoly guy. Type, type yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. cool. He's a good dude. But yeah, he Billy's is. awesome. I've oh, known Billy's, really. Billy's incredible. He's, he's, he's great. I mean, he helped, he's, he's helped out so many people and helped all over the years. I mean, he's just, he's great. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize about Billy, who've only seen him in like Chris Seaver's movies or things like that, is Billy is actually an amazing actor who has a yeah. wide range of things that he can play, not just the silly, cheesy dude in a Chris Seaver movie. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's awesome in Chris Seaver's movies, and I think that low-budget pictures and um, Chris Seaver's whole aesthetic is perfect for Billy, and he does great as Deathbone and all the other characters he's played in low-budget pictures. But Billy is actually a pretty impressive thespian who can go out and not only make you laugh at a dick joke, but can make you cry over something really emotionally wrenching after that. Right, so. right. And one, one of his... <laughs> a movie that, that, that he did that was his film that I really enjoyed was the uh, movie that has the uh, vampires Necroville mm-hmm. is one of my favorites that was a mm-hmm. good movie so that's what that's where, oh. I, that's where I first seen him at seen him in it was Necroville and I see him in Feeding the Masses actually in that so by the way what's that Defective Man Paul Alsing is actually in that in yeah. like three roles yep so and and uh, Aaron uh, Airman, Aaron Aaron yep. Jaron Brown, yep. who is in Defective Man, is also you know co-writer of uh, yep. Necroville. Yep. And we got him. Um, I was actually a director of photography in a short film that he shot, so we got him to come out and be in Defective Man as well. Uh, Necroville, awesome. Yeah, Necroville's great. Yep. Yeah, so, one yeah. of the first movies I reviewed back in 2005 Seven. or 2006. Seven. So. Hey, uh, yep. Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, but. Uh, I got a little uh, emergency here situation. I'm gonna have to to take off here, much as I hate to. I'm gonna have to take off and let you all finish up. All right, and Steve. We won't talk too bad about you on your back. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that's okay. I, mean, I really appreciate the call, Scott. And I, but uh, I got a little situation here. I'm gonna have yep, to. Uh, no problem, Steve. Off. So uh, it was great talking again, to you. Thank you very much, and yep. uh, talk to you more on Facebook. And yep. Take care. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you later. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Thanks. See you. So anyway, yeah, Billy Garbarina, he's, he's an awesome guy. Um, I met him working on a movie called Gimme Skelter that he was an actor and I believe a producer of um, through a guy named Scott Phillips out in Albuquerque who is just uh, an amazing filmmaker that really kind of 
was able to, uh, I was able to cut my teeth working on his movies. Um, and, and yeah, Billy's, Billy's a great guy. His character, the president of New Mexico, is actually a character that Scott Phillips wrote in his movie Scream, Science Bastard Scream. You never actually hear or see the president of New Mexico in that movie, but the main character, Science Bastard, is called by the president of New Mexico to save New Mexico. So I asked Scott, can I use that character's name um, in in my movie? And he said, yeah, sure. And then I decided when I'm going to make him as a character, well, who would be better to do that than Billy, who I know because of Scott. So Right. And also, I think Jeremy Owen was mm-hmm. in, in uh, Necroville. Am I correct? Well, yeah, he's the the giant lumberjack with yep. the twelve long chainsaw. Yep, yep. Yeah, Jeremy's a good friend of mine. Um, I met him actually again on one of Scott's movies, a movie that was eventually released called Wedding Slashers. Yes, the original version of we we made called Just Buried, which is actually a comedy with some horror elements, and then the producer of the movie got it and said, "Oh, this movie is horrible. We can't sell this," and made it a horror with some comedy elements, which does not work nearly as well as the other way around. Um, but yeah, I met Jeremy working on that movie and we kind of, you know, we got talking a lot on the set and he was a really funny guy and a really genuine human being and a really nice person. So, uh, yeah, I, I wanted him to be in Defective Man. I wanted him actually to have a larger role in Defective Man, but it just didn't work out right. So he's one of the guys in the audience. It, 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 I mean, come on. You know, you've seen... Uh, there's a movie called Squid Man that um, I've seen the rough copy. It's no special effects, nothing to get there. But Andrew Roth is a good friend of mine. We're like brothers, and he's the lead character of Squid Man. So my wife and I and him went on vacation, and we went to the West Hamptons for vacation. And we got back to his house, and I said, hey, let me put the Squid Man uh, costume on. So that's what the video that you've seen. I figured, you know what? Mm-hmm. Here, is a, here is a cheap audition to play a I thought of the defective man as well as long as a squid man I said here's my cheap audition to be a stupid ass uh, <laughs> superhero and that's why I did it for gags and giggles and the director Kevin the director of Klein uh, seen the YouTube video and he said you make a great squid man so wow <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I did it for I just did it to, to, to just to see how it looked and just to have a little fun with it so that's where that came from, but you know, I can see Defective Man. It needs to be distributed. You know, and I can, I I'll do that. everything that I can to help because it needs to be out to the public to see. Because look, you know, Defective Man. There's a lot of these corny superhero movies. When I say corny, I don't mean it in a bad way. No, you, no. You have to have humor. You can't make a no-budget film serious unless that you got the talent, things. right? That was one of the things we realized really early going on into Defective Man. You know, in the script, there's some of that campiness that's there in the final movie, but a lot of that came from being on set and realizing, holy crap, we have one actor to play three parts. What are we going to do? You know, holy crap, we have no money to make this movie. So either we can make a really shitty movie and pretend like we're making a good movie, or we can make a good movie that realizes it's really shitty. Right. And, And that's what we did is we just we realize embrace that crappiness, embrace that campiness. You need to make it campy, not cheesy, because those are two different things. Campy means we realize how crappy we are, and we're going to play that up compared to cheesy, which means this is a good movie. We swear to God, please believe us. you know. And, and, and we know that Defective Man is a campy movie, and we wanted to 
make sure that the audience knows that we know that. So there's a lot of jokes in the movie where really it's like us looking at the audience saying, holy crap, you're still watching our movie. <laughs> you see, know? Um, I like and campy and I like fun. cheesy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm a big campy fan and a big cheese fan. Come on, I grew up in the 80s. How much cheesier yeah. can you get? And, and right. I love cheese. I'm sorry. It's... I just love it. I mean, I love these movies that have, like, the 80s feel of it today. Mm-hmm. It draws me in. It draws me right in because I love that shit. And, and cheesy can be funny. It's just not intentionally funny. That's the difference. Right. When you look at a cheesy movie, it's cheesy because somebody who made this movie thought, we're making, you know, like I said, Citizen Kane Part 2. We're making the best movie that ever came out in 1983. You know, and and... With Defected Man, we knew we weren't going to make the best movie. We knew we didn't have the budget or the people or the locations to make the best movie. So we were going to embrace our crappiness, embrace our campiness, and present it to the audience as almost like an in-joke, like a tongue-in-cheek gag, like, hey, hey, you know you know how much we made this movie for? Ha, and you're paying to watch it, you know? Right. Um, that was really the thing with Defected Man is, it, I know, you know, like I said, it's it's not high art. But I think it's pretty funny. I think when you look at where it came from, I mean, literally four years and a month between when Steve sent me the original copy of the script to when it premiered in Albuquerque, we put, Steve and I, and a lot of other people, but especially Steve and I, put our heart and souls into this movie for a long time. Um, You know, I mean, it was almost the end of families. I mean, it was, there was a lot of, of crap that I could have done without making this movie, but in the end, it was all worth it because I got to say, "Look, I made a movie, and I made a movie that I'm not, um, you know, I'm proud of, that I'm not discouraged about, um, that I'm not, you know, afraid to show people." I mean, truthfully, I don't show it to everybody you know, because it's got a dude with a ten-inch cock on his head. But you know, it's it's a movie that I am proud of. In the end, what we did with what we had, I think it's. I don't think it shows the fact that it's as cheap as it is, and I think when it shows as cheap as it is, it almost, you know, kind of plays off the fact that it is as cheap as it is, so it comes out to more of a, a positive than a negative. Right. The well, I liked it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it because it was... I, I review horror films, okay? And every now and then, I like to just stray away and get my mind fresh for new horror coming down the road. So mm-hmm. I like to break the monotony and just start watching. I don't watch comedy that much, but if it's low budget or no budget comedy, that's mm-hmm. what I really enjoy watching. That gets me in that, you know, and I really enjoy. De- actually, Defective Man probably is the movie that really set me off to watch um, superhero corny low budget movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's nice to say. Defective Man, Squid Man, these movies here are. I guess it's basically the starting block for my new taste in comedy when it comes to that. And I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm telling you the truth. I, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's what really got me started now on looking for you know this type of stuff. But uh, I mean, I, I won't watch Spider Man. I'm not gonna watch Hulk. Right. I'm a, I'm the old school Credible Hulk TV series guy. That's where I stand. You know, right. and Peter Parker back in the, you know that Spider Man back in the day. I'll watch them, but these new movies, forget it. I'm not interested. It's too, too high tech, too bullshittish. I'm just not into it. Yeah. Too much money, not enough heart. Right, and you're right, and you got these actors that, oh, I can't do that. 
You know what I mean? Right. That, that's what I like about independent. Independent actors will do what they got to do to make money, to make a movie because they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And and that's just the end of it. And I stick to that. And I mean, I got people at work say, "Hey, did did you see um, Harvest Blood?" I mean, just making names on these high budget movies. I said no. Oh come on! Right. I said not interested because I yeah, got enough here to exactly watch. What you're saying there, Scott. I am proud of the fact that I've never seen one Harry Potter movie. I <laughs> Me neither. Um, I only watched uh, Titanic because I was forced to. Um, you know, I completely agree with you. I would much rather watch any day of the week a movie that was made by somebody that actually want to make some movies compared to a movie that was made by somebody who wanted to get a paycheck out of it. Now, don't get me wrong, if that's your job, but you still want to make movies, then more power to you because right. there's people like that out there. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there whose job is to market a piece of crap to you and tell you that it shines like gold. And please watch because this crap, it's not crap. We swear it's gold. Right, and that's and, like the new Elm Street. I mean, I have nothing against Robert England not being a Freddy Krueger. I mm-hmm. have that movie to this day, and I have not watched it yet. I watched it, and you're not missing much. You know, so. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I watched the the, the remake of Friday the Thirteenth. I enjoyed it. You know, and I enjoyed the remake of the Crazies. You know, but actually, that was really good. I it is. Like it, it is so. Um, and you know what? It's another good one. You know, we're getting off topic here. I really enjoyed the remake of Amityville because yeah. personally, I don't like the original Amityville. It bores the shit out of me. So the remake was actually a good one. But anyway, we'll we'll get back on topic here. Yeah. But anyways, um, thanks for coming on. Um, no problem. Stay in touch. I mean. I posted your site on my Gruesome Herzog Facebook page. I appreciate that. If I can, I'm just going to chill a little bit here. Um, anybody looking for Defective Man can email me, ryan at sb-films.com. Our website is www.sb-films. That's S as in Sam, B as in Bravo, dash films.com. And my reviews for my uh, stuff that I mentioned earlier are at lownobudgetreviews.wordpress.com or on Facebook at Ryan's Reviews. So anybody interested in seeing um, stuff that I write, please come by, check it out. Let me know Scott sent to you. I'd be be awesome to see you know who comes out and checks it out because of this today. So, well, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I love Defective Man. I'll say it again. My family loves Defective Man. <laughs> the adults wise <laughs> but yeah, thank you I'm glad your grandchildren have not watched the movie. <laughs> no 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 yeah my son hasn't seen it either so <laughs> yeah my four year old grandson my four year old grandson is very very smart for his britches so yeah. he definitely won't see it yeah <laughs> so. please no because I don't want to be responsible for the the psych bills later in life so <laughs> but no problem Ryan thanks again all right Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for having me and Steve on as well. He was an ordinary man with an ordinary job, working late to get ahead. when an accident in the office supply closet changed him forever. We didn't find him until the next day, and both of them ingested enough chemicals to kill Hunter S. Thompson. Now he is the greatest freelance, low-impact law enforcer Albuquerque has ever seen. 
Who's on fire? He is Defective Man. This looks like a charm for Defective Man. Joined by his super sidekick, Horndog. Job? I sure could use a job right now, if you know what I mean. And fellow heroes, Captain Orange Piss. Hey, daddy -o. And the man from the Rio Grande, Bill Gill. Hill Gill. Spill Gill. Gill, Phil Gill, Mill Gill. They will form the greatest crime-fighting team ever to patrol the streets of Albuquerque. Defective Man and the Defective Three. That sounds like a bad doo-wop band. Okay. The greatest unnamed crime-fighting team ever to patrol the streets of Albuquerque. Hey, you assholes! Get over here! Watch in awe as our heroes vanquish vicious video villains. That fucking whack job from the newspaper. I sure could use a whack job right now. Ah! Be amazed as they help wholesome whippersnappers wild things. My pokums! I'll get your cat down lickety split. Get schooled as our heroes take on dangerous dancing delinquents. Bust out your bills, boys! Aw oh, shit, it's those defective freaks. Feel the sting as they are humiliated by hard-nosed hoodlums. Who the fuck are you guys supposed to be? Your gun is way too big for spandex. You look like a fag in that captain's hat, and that's obviously a mask. All of these evildoers will be but minor misery compared to the threat sanctioned by supervillain Heavy Flow. I'll get you, defective man! You and your little horn dog, too! And her partner in crime, Ronnie Tobins. Are you ready to blizzle the tears up off of this blizzard? See all of this and more. Defective Man. Premiering at Albuquerque's Guild Cinema May 28th and 29th. Be there or be octagonal. Which is twice as bad as square.